Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We are right in the middle of our year-end Three Martini Lunch Awards special awards and six different episodes that we're giving out for the best and worst in a lot of different categories. Today we have best idea, worst idea, and boldest tactic. So Jim, where do you lead off with best idea of 2022? Well, as we joke that there's often it's tougher to come up with good ideas than than bad ideas. But I think you look at the 2022 midterm elections. If you were an incumbent Republican governor, or if you were a Republican who had developed a public identity separate from Donald Trump, you likely won by a wide margin. Uh, DeSantis is the big, clear example, but you can look to Brian Kemp, look to Mike DeWine, Greg Abbott, uh, Governor Sununu up in New Hampshire. This was, you know, a year in which the public was hungering to vote for sane Republicans and where sane Republicans were on the ticket and where they had a record of being sane and being having a record of accomplishments distinct from former President Trump, they did just fine. If you were tied at the hip, so to speak, with Donald Trump, you ran into trouble, whether it was Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania, Blake Masters in Arizona. You can find exceptions here and there, J.D. Vance in Ohio and things like that. But I think, you know, the uh, collapse of Herschel Walker when so many other Georgia Republicans won statewide was just a clear example that standard conservative issues with a little bit of populism, it doesn't mean you have to renounce every last bit of Trumpism, but it, you know, not being tied to Donald Trump, the, the electorate was hungry for it. The electorate wanted it. If you were very tied to Trump and were wrapped up in the 2020 election results and stuff like that, well, then you're probably lost. And I think there's a heavy lesson for this for Republicans and one that I hope they heed in the years to come. No, it's a good one. And uh, you, you got to have something to vote for, not just something to vote against. And unfortunately, that was a strategy that did not pay off for the Republicans, but uh, lesson learned, uh, certainly, uh, going forward. Uh, one person I haven't mentioned a lot so far in these uh, awards, uh, Jim, is Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin. Uh, we're certainly very happy that he won last year. He was certainly the bright spot for conservatives in the 2021 cycle, which admittedly is a small one. And it's just interesting how his whole campaign, his whole rationale for governor, got turned upside down in the middle of that campaign last year. Uh, but smartly, he's stuck with what got him elected. As great as it was to eliminate the grocery tax, that's not what got him elected. What got him elected was standing up for parents and uh, being a voice for them as they were getting railroaded by their school boards on a number of different policies, uh, whether it was COVID or critical race theory, uh, gender theory, whatever it was, putting power in the hands of parents was critical. And uh, Glenn Youngkin is not just looking at that way in, in terms of education, although I'm going to get back to that in just a second. But uh, a couple of months ago, we had uh, Glenn uh, Youngkin's all of the above energy plan. All of the above is, is kind of the, the word that the Republicans had back during the Obama years. But as the Biden administration tries to shoehorn us into this renewable energy future that we just can't keep up with our demand on, uh, Glenn Youngkin is a far more rational person when it comes to this. Uh, the Washington Examiner wrote about this in early October, uh, saying it doesn't have to be like that in Virginia, meaning it doesn't have to be like the way Vladimir Putin is pushing Europe into uh, an energy nightmare because they put all their eggs into one basket. Instead of blindly pursuing rapid decarbonization at the expense of flexibility and affordability, Yunkin recently proposed an all-of-the-above energy approach that includes investments in natural gas, nuclear, 
and renewables. Among the best items in Yunkin's plan is this expansion of nuclear energy, including the development of a small modular reactor in southwestern Virginia within 10 years. Virginia already generates 29% of its energy from nuclear, a proportion that should increase as Virginia relies less on fossil fuels. But then getting back to education, Jim, it was just a couple days ago, Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears says they're going for school choice uh, in the next legislative session. Don't know if it's going to get passed, but uh, if you thought Glenn Youngkin was going to try to play it safe with midterms coming up for the Virginia legislature, no. He sees that uh, putting power in the hands of parents, not just on specific issues in front of specific school boards matters, but also when it comes to where your kids actually go to school. So from energy uh, to education, Glenn Youngkin is putting his policies where his campaign promises were, and that's a good idea. You know, I'll drink to that, but I should probably (laughs) keep an eye on my liver. No, that's a good point, too, because if you drank a lot over Christmas or, you know, this week is a down week for a lot of folks heading all the way up to New Year's, pounding them back a little bit, you're making life hard on your liver because your liver is your body's master detoxifier. It performs over 500 key functions in your body every day. But if you need help, we got good news for you. There is help. It's called Liver Health Formula, which contains 12 powerful botanicals that are clinically proven to recharge and protect your liver at the cellular level. It helps restore your liver's detoxifying abilities, it boosts your energy levels, and it can help kick your natural metabolism into high gear. You can try Liver Health Formula completely risk-free and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you'll receive a free 30-day supply of nano-powered omega-3. You're also getting four free ebooks to support every aspect of your health and longevity, regardless of age. So go to getliverhelp.com slash martini or call toll-free 800-282-1757 to claim your risk-free supply of liver health formula and all five bonus gifts. One more time, that's getliverhelp.com slash martini or call 800-282-1757. All right, Jim, on to the worst idea of 2022. What, what do you have? Well, this one, there's a whole bunch of competition for this, but I decided to move beyond American politics and kind of the, you know, the easy dunk on some crazy liberal saying something somewhere. In terms of sheer consequences, I think the worst idea of 2022 was Vladimir Putin's decision to invade Ukraine. Uh, An untold number of lost lives, uh, far-reaching consequences for the world food supplies and energy supplies. Uh, higher prices all around the world for those, you know, things you need to keep living, um, destruction of landmarks, uh, just, you know, devastation across the landscape. Lots of Russian families have lost one of their young men to uh, an utterly pointless war um, done out of some sort of crazed old man's dreams of restoring former glories of either Imperial Russia or the Soviet Union. Just a colossal waste of human life, uh, human potential, all these other you know resources, all that could be better applied. I think we will look back at this as one of the great catastrophes of our age. And I suspect we will look back and say, hey, you know, I mean, Putin did move into Crimea and nothing happened. Maybe that was a pretty key indicator that made Putin think he could annex large portions of Ukraine without any serious pushback from the West. You know, look, I'm sure there are a lot of dumb political ideas and dumb campaign decisions and stuff like that. But for the sheer scale of human misery it generated, the invasion of Ukraine is the worst idea of 2022. That is an excellent choice. 
I'm going to have far more to say about that in the next martini. Mm. So uh, I'm going to uh, limit my commentary on that right now. But that is an outstanding choice. And yes, on the on the scale of uh, global impact, I, I think it's hard to top that one for 2022. I'm going to go domestically on this one, Jim. It's uh, it's a story that's been in the news the last few weeks, um, but it's flown under the radar with other big stories happening. And that is uh, what's called the Respect for Marriage Act. When Republicans are elected, and really when anyone's elected, your first goal is to defend the Constitution, which I'm pretty sure still includes the First Amendment. And the first freedom in the First Amendment is freedom of religion. So basically what this is about is codifying same-sex marriage as well as interracial marriage uh, based on Supreme Court decisions from 2015 and 1967, uh, respectively. And first of all, conflating those two I don't think is proper, but nonetheless, that's what the Democrats did in this legislation. Uh, it's no mystery that I, I disagreed with the Obergfell decision. I think marriage is a man and a woman, primarily for the purpose of uh, creating and raising children. Sam Alito in the Dobbs decision said that that uh, would not be a precedent for overturning Obergfell. Clarence Thomas, in his concurring opinion, seemed to think that it did, and that's what uh, spawned this legislation. So I guess we could potentially blame uh, Justice Thomas on that uh, a little bit. Uh, but two different things with this legislation that I think uh, Republicans got wrong, those that supported it, 12 in the Senate and ultimately 39 in the House, 47 on the original version in the House. First of all, they made the claim that over the seven years since Obergfell that, hey, look, society didn't change that much. It, wasn't, uh, it didn't light our culture on fire. Well, I would disagree with that because right after the decision, we got you have to bake the cake situation, flowers, photography, what have you. Before Obama left office, they were forcing uh, uh, biological males into girls' bathrooms. Then it was boys on girls' sports teams. Then we had the pronoun wars with consequences for your employment and other things. Moms were, are now known as birthing persons. Women are known as people who menstruate. Uh, our early childhood education curriculum is full of LGBT stuff now. And even here in Virginia, there's legislation that won't pass, but there are actually people who want you to potentially lose custody of your children and face felonies if you don't affirm your minor child wanting to switch genders. Now, the counter here is that there's religious freedom protections in here, which I think are pretty thin. Uh, they basically protect clergy with the specific act of hosting and performing a same-sex ceremony. Mike Lee tried to broaden that out a lot, uh, much more religious freedom. That amendment failed, and none of the 12 Republicans, most of whom did support that amendment, failed to hold their vote hostage to making sure that that became part of the legislation. So uh, in the end, very disappointing that Republicans decided to go down this path. I think there are going to be serious consequences despite uh, what they thought they were doing here. Well said, Greg. All right, on to our final uh, martini for the day, boldest tactic of 2022. Go ahead, Jim. So when Time Magazine used to do the man of the year, they used to emphasize the person who had the biggest consequence on world events in that year for good or for ill. And that's how they ended up with Hitler and Stalin and the Ayatollah. And they always got a lot of grief about it. So they kind of shied away from that in recent years. Um, but I think, look, if we're talking about boldest tactic, we probably should talk about that which is bold, whether or not it was good for the world or not. And I think the uh, choice of many Democrats to intervene in Republican primaries and to help support what they saw as the craziest, uh, most conspiracy theory minded, the least electable Republicans possible is a terrible thing, but it worked for Democrats. And I suspect we will see more of this. Now, I would point out, I, I blame the Democrats for spending tens of millions of dollars to elect candidates who they otherwise contend are a threat to democracy and who are bad and extreme and dangerous in every other form. 
Um, they did not do this, by the way, for Carrie Lake, but they did issue press releases. The Arizona Democratic Party did uh, to help her win her primary by attacking her opponent at a key moment during that primary. And every single one of those Republicans lost. There was some chance that maybe some of them would uh, squeak through Don Bolduc, Carrie Lake, etc. They did not. They did not pay a price. And I think you'll get more of it. I would just remind Republicans, we don't have to go along with this. When we see Democrats <laughs> running ads to support a particular Republican, that should probably tell us something. That should probably be an indicator that this person is the least likely to win a general election and will be the toughest to elect. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a bold tactic, and surprisingly, it did not backfire on them a single time. Yeah, bold does not necessarily mean honorable. And yes, and it gets a little tricky because, you know, these ads are sponsored by groups with uh, tricky-sounding names like, you know, Americans for Freedom or something. It's not the— Americans for a better America. Exactly. It's not Coalition for Democrats to Fool Republican Primary Voters. But yeah, pay attention to what's going on and just think about the Buckley rule, the most conservative candidate who can win. That's going to matter. And so uh, keep thinking in that direction. So, Jim, absolutely consequential uh, for— the primaries and the general election. The fact that it worked is absolutely maddening. Uh, meanwhile, for mine, as I uh, foreshadowed, back to Ukraine. And sometimes, Jim, the boldest choice is kind of your only choice. And that was just the decision of the Ukrainians not to try and cut a deal, not to cut and run, uh, and not to get out of the way when the Russians decided they were finally coming in. Perhaps they had done a little bit of history over the past 100-plus years. Uh, they knew the Russians had sailed halfway around the world to get to Japan, in the Russo-Japanese War, only to get wiped out in a span of minutes or hours at the most. Uh, they got annihilated in World War I. World War II, of course, they were on the winning side and uh, paid a heavy, heavy price on the Eastern Front. Uh, and then as the Soviets, they rolled over uh, you know, smaller powers in, in Hungary and in Czechoslovakia and so forth. But Russia, you know, in some ways, they're kind of a, a bit of a paper tiger. Uh, and so they took Crimea. Uh, they took parts of Georgia back in the day uh, without much of a fight. And so when it came time for Ukraine... They had a choice to make. Are we going to fight or are we going to try to give away as little as possible? And they decided they were going to fight. We talked the other day about Zelensky in the political theater category of him staying put. I'm here. You're here. Everybody's here. We are not going anywhere. And then you thought, wow, these people are, are incredibly brave. Come pick up a rifle, uh, farmers and shopkeepers, and stop the Russians on their way into Kiev. And you're thinking, well, this is incredibly courageous, but it's never going to work. Except it did. They, they managed to stop things. They basically MacGyvered their way through the first several weeks of this war, stopping these Russian columns, which had some of their own internal problems, not enough fuel, breaking down parts and so forth. And so the Russians turned out to be not as with it as a lot of folks assumed they would be. But the Ukrainians, by deciding against overwhelming odds, especially in the beginning, uh, to stand and fight and uh, you know defend their honor in front of a completely unwarranted invasion by Vladimir Putin. That's my boldest tactic for 2022. It's an excellent choice. I noticed, Greg, we often end up with similar minded choices <laughs> just in different categories. Yes. Uh, but I think it fits very well and it's uh, easy to justify and uh, explain. And hopefully 2023 will bring peace and a free and independent Ukraine. But I'm not going to hold my breath. Yeah, absolutely. There's some reports that the Russians are running out of ammo. Uh, that would be an issue. Of course, with Victor Boot back in the game, who knows how soon they could be replenished. Mm -hmm. But uh, nonetheless, Jim, uh, important categories and I think good choices across the board. So uh, we'll do it again tomorrow. See you then. 
See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already, and please tell a friend about us as well. Uh, we are also thankful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Also, uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. And buy Jim's brand new book, Gathering Five Storms. The accompanying short story is Saving the Devil. And join us again tomorrow for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Our special edition will focus on the most overreported story of the year, underreported story of the year, and the best story of 2022. Join us again on the Thursday Three Martini Lunch. <laughs>